2 Samuel 16, we're going to just read four verses and talk about those tonight. Verse 1 through 4. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddle, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? Where is Mephibosheth? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my Lord, O king. The subject tonight is this, poor judgment. Poor judgment. Here's the truth. We all have to make judgment calls every single day. Now, here's what I mean by judgment. A judgment, the experts tell me, is an opinion or a conclusion. It's the right or power of passing sentence. It's a determination of the mind formed from the the comparison of facts and arguments. Did you get all that? Great. Here's my summation of all that. It'll be on the screen. We make a judgment. When we form a conclusion about a situation or an individual, then we pass a sentence based on our conclusion. I think we can understand that, right? Being a basketball official for 10 or 11 years or whatever taught me the importance of learning how to make good judgment calls. In the moment, you're never going to make everybody happy. But as an official, you, you have to learn how to make a judgment, a snap decision right there. Is it a charge or is it a block? Did he reach? Did he touch him when he reached? Was that a fair block or did he hit his hand while, while the shooter was in the process of shooting? Did he take two steps or three steps? And you've got to process all of these things in the moment. You've got to make these snap decisions. There's, there's other occupations that come to my mind, such as like literal judges in the court of law. They have to uh, issue or, or, or pass judgment. They have to make Make those decisions based on the conclusion or, or, the, or the arguments that they, they hear based on, on the facts that, that they're presented. I think of our first responders. Some of those firefighters out there right now are having to make judgment calls, right? Police officers on the streets of Liberal tonight are going to have to make judgment calls. I think of school teachers. You got one student that's getting it, one student that's not. They've got to make a judgment call. They've got behavioral issues. They've got to address in the classroom. Sometimes right there on the spot. I think of Kelby. I think of a baseball player. Standing at home plate trying to hit a baseball that big that's going 95 mile an hour. I mean, I don't know, Kelby. What do you think? How much time do you think you have to react to that? Point what? Like five milliseconds. To make a decision, is that going to be a strike or a ball? Should I swing at that or not? Now, I watched him on TV make those judgment calls against some of the greatest pitchers to ever play. 
And some he made the right call and some he should have made a better one. See, in a lot of occupations, good judgment is required. If you have poor judgment, you're going to mess up. Well, in life, outside of our jobs even, we have to make judgment calls all the time. Snap decisions. Tonight's message is going to teach us how we prevent making poor judgment calls. Because we're going to learn from David's mistake in the first four verses of chapter 16. Now, I want to catch you up where we're at. Let me do that in in just... Less than 60 seconds. David made a huge mistake back in chapter 11 when he committed the sin of adultery and then murder in an effort to cover up that adultery. A chapter later, he was confronted about it. He pleaded guilty and God passed down his punishment that would, that, that would involve the ongoing long-term dysfunction of his household. The very next chapter, we see that punishment being fulfilled. David's son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Then Absalom, Amnon's bigger brother, killed Amnon for doing that, which caused him to have to flee Jerusalem. A few years later, Absalom asked if he could come back into the kingdom, and David let him, which proved to be a huge mistake. Because the very next chapter, Absalom led a revolt against his dad and ran his dad out of the kingdom. That's what we talked about last week. David's on the run. He's got a few loyal followers that let Jerusalem with him. In spite of him being on the run, God was gracious to him and gave him three different interactions in chapter 15 that reassured David, you made a mistake and my punishment's being fulfilled in your life, but don't forget I'm still here with you. You're still my king. And you're still leading my people. And I've still got your back. Now we get to chapter 16. The narrator is going to highlight three more interactions, but they're all going to be negative. Chapter 15, they were all positive. Chapter 16 and 17, they're going to be negative. We're going to talk about Ziba, who's going to lie to David. The next sermon is to talk about Shimei who takes stones and starts throwing them at David. And he critiques David and, and he curses David. Then Ahithophel was... Used to be David's chief counselor. He's the third interaction and he's going to betray David. So we're going to study this interaction that David has with Ziba and he fails to, to, to manage his judgment wisely. Now, who is Ziba? Who's Ziba? I don't think he's an, a well-known character of the Bible. He's Mephibosheth's servant. You remember Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth's grandfather was King Saul. Mephibosheth was lame on his feet because, because he got dropped as a baby. Literally got dropped on the floor. They didn't have special surgeons back then. So they couldn't repair those joints and, and the broken bones. And they didn't heal correctly. And he, he couldn't walk the rest of his life. Well, Ziba was the servant designated to help take care of Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was shown incredible kindness by King David. Do you remember that? He, he, was, he was part of King Saul's regime. Okay, he didn't deserve to be part of the royal family, but David was gracious and he was merciful and he was kind and he gave Mephibosheth a spot at the table. An amazing story, we talked about that. Well, verse one tells us that David was a little past the top of the hill when all of a sudden he saw this big caravan of donkeys loaded with provision coming toward him and he recognized the one that was leading the caravan was Ziba. So the king asked Ziba, what are you doing? What's all this provision for? Ziba told him. We read it. He said, well, the donkeys are for the king and his family to ride on so they don't have to walk. 
The food and the wine are for all the people that are traveling and, and helping protect the king. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This is no small gesture. And we're talking about a ton of groceries here. This is an incredibly generous gift from Ziba. So here's what you got to realize. At this point, David has to make a judgment call. See, every time somebody comes to the king, every time someone has a gift for the king, every time someone wants an audience with the king, the king has to decide if he's going to receive that person. He has to determine or judge in the moment whether or not that person is sincere or if that person is safe or if that person has pure motives or maybe that person's a spy. And it's no different with Ziba. There are a hundred thoughts going through David's mind as Ziba's making this generous presentation to him. David's got to make a judgment call. And as he starts thinking through this, he suspects that something's off. And so he asks in verse 3, where's your master's son? Where's Mephibosheth? Remember, Mephibosheth depends on Ziba's care. He can't walk. So David asked him, why didn't you bring him with you? Isn't this your job? Who's caring for him? And Ziba told David, well, well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask. But I'm sad to say he's back in Jerusalem. He didn't want to come. And Dave, I hate this, but. But I have to tell you that, that Mephibosheth, has turned, he's turned his back on you. Just like your son did. He's decided that, that Absalom is the best chance he has to restore the kingdom of Saul, his grandfather. And for him to eventually become the king of Israel himself. So I, I hate to tell you this, but he's betrayed you. Okay. David has some information now. Now he has to make a judgment call. Is Ziba telling the truth? Has Mephibosheth really done this? His mind's running 100 miles an hour. He's thinking of all the people that have already betrayed him, including his own son. And now one more? Mephibosheth, the lame man who David was so kind to, has turned his back on him as well? What would David choose to do? What's the judgment David's going to make? Well, verse 4. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, Thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. You know what that means? He believed Ziba. He told Ziba, you can have everything that I gave to Mephibosheth. Everything. All of Saul's land, all of Saul's possessions, everything I gave him as being part of the royal family. Ziba, it's now yours. He betrayed me. I'm passing on this sentence to him. He's guilty. And I'm taking away everything I ever gave him. David heard Ziba's side of the story. Then David formed his own conclusion. Then he passed a sentence onto Mephibosheth based on that conclusion. Do you see this? Now, there's a couple of problems with David's judgment here. First, don't miss this. David was in no frame of mind to make this decision. When he heard about Mephibosheth betraying him, that had to have triggered all of David's insecurity and all his pent up frustration with everyone else who had betrayed him. I mean, you can just sense David's emotion in this decision as he almost rashly says, immediately says, take it all away from Mephibosheth. He betrayed me like everyone else. Ziba, you can have it all. 
That's the first problem with David's judgment. He wasn't in the right frame of mind to make a sound decision. Second, second, David didn't have all the details. David only had one side of the story. There's no way he could have known if Ziba was telling the truth. He just assumed that Ziba was being honest instead of fact-checking Ziba. Instead of making contact with Mephibosheth to get his side of the story. David makes a judgment based on incomplete information. Two problems with his judgment. Untempered emotions and incomplete information. How do I know it was incomplete information? Turn your Bible over to chapter 19. This is why you bring your Bible to church. Turn your phone over, whatever you use. I'm okay with it all as long as it doesn't distract you. Verse 24 of chapter 19. Second Samuel 19, verse 24. Here's the real story. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. Look how he's dressed. He neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard. And all the men said, Okay. Nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore winnest that not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my Lord, the king. There's the story. Mephibosheth wasn't busy in Jerusalem betraying David. He was grieving for David. The dude wasn't even getting a haircut. He was so, so sorrowful. He wasn't washing his clothes. He was in this state of perpetual mourning because the king who had been so kind to him was being betrayed by his own son. Mephibosheth would not have been mourning if he was trying to betray David. He looked almost helpless at David and said, Ziba told you what? He betrayed me. He has slandered me. And look at how David responds in verse Number 29, the king said unto him, why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. David said, okay, guilty. I made the wrong choice, but I don't know what else to do at this point. I'll, I'll at least tell him to give half of those things back to you. But there's no way you're getting it all. Get this. Because David had a lapse of judgment in leadership. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was treated unfairly. Somebody pays the price when we make poor judgment. And sometimes we, it's irreparable. Sometimes we can't make it up to them. Write this down. Poor judgment turns us into unfair judges. Poor judgment turns us into unfair judges. Now, who in here wants to volunteer to be an unfair judge? Nobody thinks like that. No, no, one, no one wants to pass a sentence onto somebody that isn't right. How do we avoid it? Well, I kind of gave a hint to it. There's two ways. Number one, write this down. 
Never make a judgment based on incomplete information. The church needs this tonight. I wish the whole church was here to hear it. This preacher needs this tonight. Never make a judgment based on incomplete information. You and I are bound to make poor judgments and become unfair judges if we only trust one person's side of the story. Sometimes this happens when when you're told directly by one person that you trust of another individual or situation. You instantly form a judgment based on that one person's opinion. Sometimes it happens when you open up your social media apps and you read one person's side of the story. You believe it instantly. Sometimes it happens when you see a situation with your own eyes, but you aren't really close enough to have all the details, yet you think you have enough details to make your own interpretation. And so you form your own conclusion based on what you saw when what you saw doesn't tell the full story. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 18, 13, he that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. We speak up before we know all the details. Guess what the result is? Embarrassment. Silliness. Foolishness. Shameful actions. Now, let's, let's all, let's just all agree we've made this mistake before. As humans, we tend to make a judgment on incomplete information. And then we later find out that our perception was wrong or the side of the story that we heard wasn't the entire story or what we read was exaggerated or it was biased. And then we feel foolish when our poor judgment turns us into unfair judges. Sometimes we've even said things or posted things or repeated things based on our poor judgment. And it's really hard to humble ourselves and take them back after we've actually heard the full story and gathered all the details. Sometimes to our shame, the damage is done and it's irreparable. One thing that makes this really hard, and I want you to get this, is something that's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. You know what that is? That's when our desires affect our beliefs. Our desires impact our beliefs. In other words, when we're biased, we take our desires And our feelings into how we interpret people's actions or words. Some of you need to listen. So when somebody says something to us. What we already feel toward that person. Will will affect our immediate interpretation of what they just said. As a result. We'll be tempted to make a poor judgment of them. Before really knowing all the details. Which is totally unfair toward that person. Whether we like them or not. If you're biased toward a certain person's opinion or point of view, you'll tend to believe about everything they say without researching it on your own. Whether it's a particular author or a particular speaker, a particular radio host or YouTuber or or, or social media guy or political figure. If you really respect the person, then you're going to listen to them. But we need to be careful because nobody outside of Jesus is infallible, including your pastor. 
Now listen, I've known Bible believers who turn into conspiracy theorists because they begin to follow a particular author and speaker and just took everything they said as fact. Nobody could change their mind. They became unfair and stubborn judges. That's silly. Don't, don't take my word for it. Look at Proverbs 14, 15. The simple, that's a gullible, believeth every word. The simple believeth every word. But the prudent man looketh well to his going. The prudent man does his homework. The prudent man doesn't let confirmation bias make up his mind before he knows all the details. There is no one outside of God that tells the truth without spinning the truth 100% of the time. God's the only fully honest person you've ever known. Solomon says that we're gullible to believe that even the people we trust are telling the story exactly how it went. We ought to be prudent enough to get all the details before making a judgment, no matter who's telling us the story. Hey, I'm just saying, if, if we want to prevent making poor judgments, we have to do our homework. We have to be wise enough. I'm going to say this kindly, but we have to be wise enough to keep our mouths shut and our minds open. Until we hear all the details and have enough information to make a wise judgment. Can I just go, just say this. Your life would be easier to live if you, if, if, if you got to the point with the help of the Holy Spirit that you, you could keep your mouth shut and your mind open until you heard all the story. Can I get an amen? amen. Isn't that the truth? Amen. Your life would be easier. You would have less inner turmoil. If you didn't jump to conclusions so much based on what one person said or based on your interpretation of something from a distance or based, based on, on, on you overrating how much you know about the situation. Sometimes we do that all the time. We think we know what we need to know to form a conclusion. And most of the time we don't. Hear a matter before you answer it, church. Hear a matter before you answer it. What do you have to do to hear? You have to listen. You have to ask. You have to research. You have to put yourself in a posture that you could possibly be wrong. Amen? Boy, I bet you David will tell us one day he wished he would have done that. I know Mephibosheth would have said, I wish David would have done that. There's one more way we can prevent poor judgment. Here it is. Never make a judgment when you're in the wrong frame of mind. Never make a judgment when you're in the wrong frame of mind. King David was not in a good place to make a snap decision. He was hurting. He was insecure. He was emotionally unstable. By the way, you should never make big life decisions when life is going bad. Just let things sit a while. Let God work things out a little bit. Pump the brakes a little bit. Here's what David should have told Ziba. Hey, man, I appreciate your gifts. We're going to use them. Thanks for the groceries. They're going to be a blessing. But as far as the whole Mephibosheth thing goes, listen, I'm in no state of mind to make a judgment on that. You might be telling the absolute truth. But listen, I need to sit on this a while. In fact, I need to talk to Mephibosheth myself. Then I'll get back to you. What happened to the art of that? 
But when you're led by your emotions in the moment, you don't think logically. How many can, how many can agree to that? Yeah, that, that part of our, of our frontal cortex that connects our choices with our consequences, that thinks long game, that disappears when our emotions take over. We say and come to conclusions that are just too hasty. Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You are helpless. You're defenseless when you're led by your emotions. Proverbs 14, 17, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Foolishly. Go back to my basketball officiating days. One of the things they teach us in clinic every year, they would teach us, you've got to stay composed. Don't expect the mom and dads to stay composed. They won't. Don't expect the coaches to stay composed. They won't. Sometimes the players won't stay composed. But as an official, you must stay composed. Me and Nick, that's where I first met Nick. We were refing basketball together. And Nick, you would agree that there were some guys we refed with that they just struggle with composure. Like Kurt Deaton. You know what I mean? You guys ever heard of that guy? He's wild. He is a crazy dude. But, but there are some refs. Now, Kurt, Posh, you guys will, you'll agree with this. They take personally whatever the crowd says. Like literally. Gets to halftime. The crowd's had their way with the official. We go into the locker room and the guy's over there saying, I can't believe he said that. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to show him. He wants us to call it tight. I'll call it tight. I mean, like, come on, dude. Now you're losing your, your ability to judge wisely. And fairly. Are you with me? And police officers have to remain composed like this. School teachers have to remain composed. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's the same for us in life. When we're hurt, when we're insecure, when we're lonely, when we're mad, when we're frustrated, when we're fearful, when we're bitter, when we're angry, when we're jealous, when we're stressed. Those are not times in which we should be making snap decisions. Parents, don't make, don't pass a sentence Onto your kids rashly. In haste. Don't do that. It ends up being embarrassing if you get it wrong. See, I, I've done this with, with Kevin before. I'm frustrated at him. I went into his room and I, I made some rash judgment call. I passed a sentence onto him. And I walk out and then my wife gently explains what was actually going on. I got it wrong. I hear the full details. I settle down. I realize how unfair of a judge I was with my son. All because I made a judgment when I wasn't in the right frame of mind. Another situation this applies to is when you hear about something that was said about you. Maybe something that was said about someone you love. If you're a human being and it it hurts when somebody pinches you. Then you're going to get defensive and take that personally. And that's not the right frame of mind through which to make a good judgment. If you're not careful, you'll act out of self-preservation. You'll be rash. You'll be impulsive. And even if you're right, you'll probably be wrong in the way that you're right. So wait. Just wait and settle down a little bit. Why? Because he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Mom and dad, let me just be real practical. If you hear something from your child, 
about how they were treated at school or church or about a, a grade they got or what a teacher said to them at school. Don't just immediately make a judgment based on what they say. Thank you, teachers. You might become an unfair judge. Seriously, take a deep breath. A deep breath. A breath that lasts a couple days. Don't overreact. Think through it without confirmation bias. Parents, you listen, help, help me. Say amen if you're with me. I'm trying to help you tonight. After a little bit of a time, set up an appointment to talk face-to-face to their teacher or administrator. And when you do, talk to them graciously. Talk to them conversationally, not confrontationally. Here's the truth. Your child may indeed be right. And you may be able to bring a good solution to the table. But there's also a chance, I know this is going to shock you, your child could be wrong. So make sure you're doing your homework in the right spirit before you form a conclusion and pass a sentence. That'll keep you from making a poor judgment based on emotion. You with me? Do you know what I appreciate as a pastor so much? This happened last week. Just this last week, two days ago. I appreciate people that set up a time to visit with me face to face about concerns they have. I appreciate that. Like when somebody comes to me with sincerity and humility and they're just curious, they they ask me to explain something to them that doesn't make sense or something they heard in the distance that, that, that didn't sit well with them. And, and they don't make a judgment. They just, they just come and talk with spiritual maturity and composure. Now, I haven't always done this. There's sometimes I've, I've reacted in the flesh and I've just done a bad job at this. But, but I appreciate when people do this, especially being on the pastoral side of this now. I just appreciate when they want unity, when they're prudent, when they're wise. And I don't learn things third and fourth hand. I love that. Here's why. Because I can often learn from that person in that moment. What they say may be God's way of changing my mind or helping my attitude or sharpening my leadership. But so often somebody will let their emotions get in the way, form a conclusion before they even talk to me. They'll close their mind off before they even voice a concern or ask a question. They'll passive aggressively plant seeds of complaint hearing, seeds of of criticism here to different kinds of people. And I'll eventually start hearing these things in different forms. And, 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 and I think, man, I think I could have fixed that if we talked about it six months ago. Or at least I, I could have just graciously agreed to disagree. Which, by the way, you're going to do that all the time in a church. She's going to agree to disagree. That's part of being charitable toward one another. I just so appreciate people that will put to practice what David didn't. Hear all the details. Hear all the details. Don't let confirmation bias point you in the wrong direction. And then, if you're emotional, just calm down. You know why? When emotions are high, wisdom is low. When emotion is high, wisdom is low. Take a deep breath. Well, Pastor, you're acting like you've always gotten this right. I can can point to you tangible times in the last three months that I've gotten this wrong. Literally times on the phone or times in my office or times in an interaction where I'm like, that was an unfair judgment. That was hasty. That was defensive. 
and that was wrong. I can point to you sometimes when I've gotten it right. I'm just telling you, it's a lot funner being on the right side. Not not just because I can say I was right, but because I didn't have to apologize for anything. There was no shame and there was no folly. It's just like, okay, God helped me there and I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't do it when I felt like it. I'm glad I didn't say what what was going in my mind right then. I'm glad glad I didn't form a conclusion too early because I was about to pass a sentence on that person that would have been totally unfair. I've gotten it right and I've got it wrong. And it's just, it's life's better when you get it right. How do we avoid making poor judgment? Becoming unfair judges. We never make a judgment based on incomplete information. And number two, we never make a judgment. We're in the wrong frame of mind. You know who my person, who my heart goes out to in all this? Mephibosheth. You understand he was back basically having a funeral for David this whole time. And then he hears that Ziba lied about him. And he's losing his possessions to this liar. And David never once text him. He never once said, hey, Mephibosheth, can we have lunch tomorrow? Ziba told me something that just sounds kind of crazy. It might be true. I hope it's not. But I feel like, man, before I make my mind up, I, I need to talk to you about this. That's what David should have done. And Mephibosheth, can you imagine how he's feeling? Mephibosheth's such an awesome dude because he knew how kind David had been to him. We didn't read it, but Mephibosheth basically said this. Just give Ziba all of it. It's all right. It's okay, David. I remember when you were kind to me a couple chapters back. I don't deserve this. I didn't deserve any of that stuff to begin with. You can have it. He was gracious. He was a gracious victim of slander. But my heart goes out and here's what it teaches me. That there's always a Mephibosheth that takes the blunt of our poor judgment. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. It may be your parents. It may be your coworker. It may be your boss. It may be your doctor. It may be your customer. It may be your pastor. It may be your youth pastor. It may be your child's school teacher. It may be your city officials. It may be your law, law enforcement officers. There's always going to be a Mephibosheth when you act out of haste. When you pass unfair judgment and sentencing on somebody else, they're going to have to bear the consequence of that. So let's wrap this up. Maybe you're currently making a poor judgment right now of an individual or situation. And you know in your heart that the Holy Spirit is either convicting you of poor judgment or he's convicting you of making the right judgment, but in the wrong way. Remember, if you're wrong in the way that you're right, you're still wrong. Maybe the next right thing for you to do tonight is just to get the other side of the story. To refrain from complaining and criticizing and forming conclusion and passing a sentence until you can go and get all the details. Or maybe you just need to let your emotions settle down long enough to think logically and spiritually. Maybe you've listened to a person in your life who's made poor judgment. And for some reason you keep listening. And, and like the dramatic part of you, the, the, that part of you that kind of thrives on information, you just, you keep that person close to you. Because you just like information. 
And you just keep listening. And you might not agree, you might agree, but just giving that person an ear feeds that person. And maybe you know in your spirit, because the Holy Spirit's told you, smack dab in the middle of the conversation, they're not telling the truth. They're exaggerating, they're bitter, they're speaking out of their emotions, and you just keep on listening. That's a mistake. Maybe you've made a poor judgment call about somebody, but you've never made it right. You became an unfair judge and passed a sentence onto that person that you know was unfair. Maybe like David, you can't take back all of what you said or what you did, but here's what you can do. You can say two words to them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The church would be helped tonight if we learned to say I'm sorry to each other. Marriages would be helped tonight if you learn to say I'm sorry to each other. Parents and teenagers, your relationship would be a little better if you learn to say I'm sorry to each other. And if somebody says I'm sorry to you, accept it. Just like Mephibosheth did. Understand, God has given you so much grace. The least you could do is show some of it to other people. Even the people that slandered you. Or passed an unfair judgment on you. Sit back for a second. And say, you know what? I owe God a greater debt than that. And he's released me of it. So if somebody has the humility to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to show grace. That's what we all need help with tonight. We just stand.